On this week's episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share my interview with Dave Harrison of Pedal Driven Cycles in Athens, Georgia. Each week on the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I get on the phone with somebody in the bike frame building world, and we just chat about their story and how they got into frame building. One of my friends was calling it sort of a water cooler show, uh, which I like. I hope that's appropriate. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just it's pretty casual, and I just try and get people's stories and ask them about some technical things. And I really like the parts of the conversation that end up being about ideas and perspectives, where... Um, you know, why do people choose different paths and why do people spend different amounts of effort on different things along their similar journeys? It's because, you know, we value things differently and we have different ideas about stuff. And so I think it's cool to talk about those ideas too. And I try and pull that out in these interviews. So this week, my guest is Spooky Dave Harrison. Uh, he, he got his start back in the 90s. He built bikes at a homeless in Texas, was a BMX outfit that was not very big. Uh, and then uh, he went on to do uh, stuff for a couple of years with Spooky, um, which was up in the Northeast in uh, Connecticut and then New York, I think, with uh, Frank the Welder and a handful of other people. And then uh, after that, he worked at Brew Bikes some, and then he uh, famously uh, did a lot of work with FBM for a long time, the BMX company out of uh, Binghamton and Ithaca, New York. And then uh, a couple years ago, he left that to start Pedal Driven Cycles, which was his own his own operation and his own product line and uh, his own work. And now he he runs like a retail skate shop and also does this custom work and some other welding and stuff. And so he has a really cool and interesting history that goes back a long time. I've gotten to visit the FBM shop that exists today in Ithaca, New York. That's not very far from where I live. And so I've gone and toured that a couple times, but that was the two times that I've been there was after he had left. And so uh, I saw some stuff that, you know, he would have seen and he would have had his hands on, but not in the time that he was there. And so um, it was cool to get more of the history of that from him. Uh, there's a really cool documentary that we reference uh, about FBM as a company um, that you can find. I think it's on YouTube or Vimeo or something. And uh, I'll, I'll try to remember to link that in the show notes on my website. Anyhow, uh, where, where the interview starts here, I had asked him about uh, when he was working with Frank the Welder uh, and Spooky Bikes back in the 90s. Yeah, so Frank was, in, Frank was in Arizona, and then the two owners of Spooky, Chris and Kevin, also lived in Arizona. And then basically they, you know, they, they started Spooky Cycles, but they were from like upstate New York. And then they, um, they basically moved everything back to well, our first shop was in, um, Danbury, Connecticut. Wow. So that's where the first shop was. And then, uh, Frank, uh, moved up there to started the shop. And then I came up there, I think a year or so after they were building bikes, something like that. But yeah, we were kind of like the, uh, punk rock in the mountain bike world when everything was very clean cut jerseys and, we would show up at mountain bike races and throw t-shirts off the trailer. And we had like punk rock bands come and play at, uh, Mount snow at the mountain bike races and stuff. I don't know. You know, we just kind of, kind of shaking things up a little bit, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. And then we were in new England and we were building aluminum hardtails, which was 
not not a no no, but uh, you know, it was uh, not something that wasn't being done. What what year so, would have this been? This would have been, let's see, this would have been ninety five, ninety six, I think, ninety five. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, you know, New England's always been steel. Um, or, you know, or, or obviously titanium, and then, uh, then yeah, then you got these basically like I felt like we were a bunch of kids, even though I was only like early twenties and everybody was in their thirties, so mm-hmm. I was definitely the kid there. But yeah, I'd worked previously at a BMX company in Austin, Texas, called Homeless, and basically lived in the shop and had zero experience, and basically taught myself kind of how to weld and taught myself how to. You know, they had a couple guys there, but they didn't know a whole lot more than me. And then um, I was looking in the back of a magazine, and I saw this ad for Spooky in an article about them. And I literally called them up and said, hey, you guys looking for somebody to, to, to weld? And I said, yeah, we actually need a, a part-time guy. And I said, oh, cool. All right, well, uh, I'll come by the shop in like three days or something. And uh, and at the time, Homeless had shut down, so I was I moved back to Pan Am, Florida, and I loaded my car up and basically just drove to Spooky Cycles and showed up. <laughs> you didn't and let them know how far you were coming. No, and uh, they about a week or so, I, and I, I basically went in the first day, met Frank, and then he started showing me. And he was like, "Yeah, you're a little, you know, crude, but you you got it." And so he trained me. And then after a week, they like I would leave at work, and then I would basically go get something to eat or go to Barnes and Nobles and just kind of like dick around till they were gone. And then I would go back to the shop and basically sleep in the parking lot. Uh, <laughs> and then eventually I got busted and they were like, what are you doing? And they were like, they were like, where do you live? And I was like, uh, I no nowhere really. They were like, did you come here from Florida? Cause I had Florida plates and there. I was like, yeah. And they were like, are you crazy? <laughs> I was like, I wanted a job and, uh, well, basically I never worked part-time and I lived with Kevin and Frank and everybody after that, you know, we all lived together and then through, through certain periods, me and a couple of sales guy had a house more in town, uh, cause Kevin lived way out in the country, uh, basically had his big house in the country. So, um, but yeah, that was, you know, spooky. So, you know, I've been so rooted in the BMX kind of world and that's like, but you know, when Vegas and some of the bigger trade shows, I would still go to them a lot, but I would still go to see some of the guys at Moots and see some of the guys at Niner and all these mountain bike worlds that I knew people in. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of funny being so rooted in my side of the industry. That's a lot different from, you know, some of your past, uh, people you've had on and stuff, you know, what they do. Yeah. You know, even though we all do the same thing. Yeah, so. it's it's funny how there seem to be such silos or or whatever you want to call it. You know, there's a and I mean even just within like you know, my world on the show and what I cover yeah. a little bit more, just even like mountain bike and roadie divide is like a huge thing and it's kind of yeah. silly the the divisions that people put on this stuff that are totally silly, but um you know, clearly it's not that uh, cut and dried and it's not that different. <laughs> But it, yeah. it can feel yeah. that way, and people, I think, I don't know why, but uh, people make it that way. And so, yeah. um, certainly, I mean, always... you know, I wanted to have you on the show for a long time because your work is, like, very uh, very cool. You know, you have such a big body of work working with so many people and uh, make awesome stuff. 
And, uh, and I think yeah. it's a really interesting story too, because of all the different places you've been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I've worked at brew. I mean, you know, I feel like I've had a lot of jobs and I guess I kind of have, but you know, I, I worked at brew. So, I mean, I did BMX stuff there mostly, but also like if they needed, if he needed some hardtail stuff done, you know, I would just weld it up or for a while, I just helped him build the trailer for like a month, you know, like <laughs> whatever. So, um, but yeah and stuff but yeah it's and and it's you know i've had such connections with like you know rita that owns fairing you know i'm like oh, i know yeah. her personally and you know i i've been i've been traveling through europe with all the dmr guys back in the day and you know i mean it's yeah it's it, there's so much overlap and it's kind of funny and e- even now it's like there's even frame builders that you've even interviewed that actually all either used to ride bmx bikes yeah. or maybe still do and i've and they're like oh yeah uh you know yeah i used to ride a t1 you built it and i was like oh hey what's up <laughs> you know like <laughs> you know I, i'm like i guess yes what happens when you, you know, i guess you've been and i've been in it 20 something years i guess so it's been a long time you know yeah um you know and I, it's i do feel sometimes i'm cornered in a sense like I get so much BMX work and all lost so much of the BMX community always comes to me because I've been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does, it, you know, like I've heard you say a few times, it's like, you want to work on all these other cool projects, you know, but you just don't have time when you got orders coming in, you just gotta yeah. like, you just gotta do it. Cause you're like, well, okay. I mean, down the road, yeah, this investment on this uh, project would be awesome, but right now you may can't justify it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, for sure. But, um, so, uh, so you you worked at a BMX shop in Texas for a bit called Homeless, and then you started working with the uh, guys who did Spooky. So that was Frank the yep. Welder and uh, and a couple other folks. Yeah. So there was, I mean, it was kind of a very hodgepodge of people. We had a machinist there named Wendell Robbins, and he used to do a he used to do a all handmade brake company called Gravity Research. Wow. And he would like hand, hand wind his own springs, all his <laughs> brakes, levers, everything was CNC machine. Um, and then we had another guy, this, this Hungarian guy named Jolt, and he used to make these monocoque frames. And most time monocoques are just sheet metal folded over, but he would start out with a giant plate and machine pockets out in this wow. thing. And so, and then he would have the whole thing dip braised. And so it was like, from the outside, it looked like just sheet metal, but that internally there was tiny thin ribs. I mean, he was like a machining genius. This guy was, man, it was crazy. You know, and then you had Frank with all his background. And then, uh, you know, then you had me where I guess I was like the BMX guy. And so, um, yeah, we just like, it was like such a hodgepodge of people and backgrounds and cultures. It was, it was really unbelievable how well we all worked together and just like, you know, had fun. And, you know, we had multiple like neighborhood kids that always come and just sweep the floors and just, you know, have fun. And they were just like, yeah. And, you know, we had like so many CNC machines and all kind of weird machines and some ran, some didn't, you know, and every now and then we'd get one running. We'd be like, all right, cool. We'd make some crazy weird stuff on it. Um, I mean, we, we would make like for a long time, we couldn't get 
like square extruded aluminum tubing. And so we literally made our own like rolling dies and hooked them to like supports to, that held the whole building up. And we would like use come alongs and make like wow. 20 foot sections of square, uh, you know, aluminum stays that were rounded on the edges, not super sharp, mm-hmm. you know, for like the metal heads and stuff we made. I mean, we used to just, yeah. And we heat treated all, we heat treated a lot of our own stuff and made our own ovens. I mean, it was, you know, so that was, 60, it was like 61. a group of people that was just so taught how to make everything by hand, you know? And that's the way I was. I'm like, you know, like I, I don't, I personally right now don't, well, I do have a couple little small anvil fixtures, but like for the most part, I build everything myself. That's just the way I was taught to do it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I kind of, you know, I'm kind of used to a certain way that I do things and I, you know, I do try to improve on all this stuff, but I also just like, okay, I'm comfortable with the way I do something and I just kind of stick with it and yeah. do it, you know? Well, that's good. I think, uh, I, <clears throat> something I would always feel guilty about when I was, you know, wanting a better processor, I wanted a better tool or something was I could see that I wanted it, but I maybe didn't need it. And there were other people who were really talented who would get stuff done with hardly any tools and they'd be quick and Mm -hmm. they'd make really good work. And I was like, man, I'm just like, I get so lost in the weeds and preoccupied on these details. Oh yeah. If you can, if you can make do without, uh, that's awesome. That's like a really good skill, but that's just never my speed. I was, I just love making tools so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely like, I always tell people like I'm a TIG welder first, not a machinist. Like I just learned how to machine stuff just out of like necessity. I never really trained really in a sense. And, uh, you know, I can make, things work and I have, I can visually see things. If I can look at something, I'm like, all right, cool. I can figure out. And typically I already made the part that I want to make. So I can then just a lot of times just build around it really quick with something, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's pretty crude, but then it's like, I can just throw parts back in there and just kind of repeat itself, you know? Mm-hmm. And then at spooky, we did, you know, volume. And so that's like, for me in my years, I like, Yes, I build custom bikes, but I'm I'm much more production background oriented where, you know, every one of my fixtures pretty much has a quarter 20 bolt. I don't use anything else because I only need one Allen wrench, mm-hmm. you know, or I need or everything will be a three quarter bolt or something. So it's like every tool, yeah. every weld fixture is exactly the same. I don't want 400 tools. I don't have to go looking for everything. I just have them right there. I can just grab them and just go, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's just something I just, you know, taught by Frank and just kind of learned over the years of production. You know, I mean, you do something hundreds of times, every second just adds up, adds up, adds up, adds up, you know, yep. when you're trying to get something out the door. And, uh, uh, and Fra- stuff, so. Frank had worked at Yeti, uh, prior to this, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Frank's story is pretty interesting, but basically he, he basically invented the aluminum hardtail frame and, uh, with Eastern, I mean, uh, Easton like developed the tubing, kind of did it behind Yeti's back in a sense, because they, they wanted him to focus on something else, not that. And he, then he made the first Yeti arc frame and, uh, and it just blew up, you know, and he also made the first Yeti aluminum stem, which was like, you know, revolutionary at the time and just kind of, you know, catapulted him 
and, uh, and, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, even at spooky, I remember we would get, we would get really bizarre aluminum packages from Easton and they would be like, I mean, they didn't say top secret on them, but they just like, <laughs> there would be no information. Frank would like build this bike. None of us would know what's going on. Like none of us could touch it. None of us could weld it. None of us could machine it, you know, and <laughs> it, it, they would send him like special rod to weld with it and then he wow. would ship it back to him. So just for like testing and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, which was cool, you know, and all that stuff was going on and it was like, it was really cool to see all that stuff going on around me and, and, I don't know, just like being, you know, feeling like I was like that 20 year old, like dumbass kid. I'm like, I don't know how I got here, but this is cool. And I'm yeah. just learning all this stuff, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and stuff like that. But yeah, so yeah, Frank pretty much took me under his wing. And when I got there and still, still picked up on pretty quick, uh, aluminum. I mean, I'm, I had to basically practice joint welds for almost a year before I could even touch a frame. And he, he would, he would get very, like, I would weld joints and we would cut them in half on the bandsaw and then look inside. And then he would just like explain to me all what's going on and torch angles. And he would hover over me and and stuff a lot. And, you know, at the time I'm like, gosh, this guy's such a dick, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I was like, you know, but then in the end when it's like, you know, cause basically his, his philosophy was, well, this is this is basically my name on this bike. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you have to weld like I do. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be like me because, you know, none of us really sat down and welded a one bike. We just, we kind of jumped around. We would do t- certain sections and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, so. And um, yeah, so we kind of shared those responsibilities um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, you you kind of we all kind of had to work together and work the same ways and stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, and aluminum doesn't have. I always tell people who are getting into frame building who have like beginner questions. I always say, you know, the beauty of steel is that um, even a pretty terrible looking brazed joint or welded joint, a lot of times, you mm-hmm. know, it depends, but a lot of times it ends up being pretty strong. And the failure mode usually is more graceful than you know aluminum. Uh, can be a very good material when done right, but I think the bar of entry is higher. Right? You would agree that you you need to be yes. you need to know what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. 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 And especially you know if I mean these you know the lot of stuff we were doing was like super light Easton aluminum tubing, and you know then it gets heat treated, and if you you screw it up, and then the heat goes to the heat treater, and then that could be oh no another ball of wax and you know, yeah. So, and then, you know, you wanted the bikes to look all the same, you know, you didn't want like, you don't want to look at one section of the frame and be like, Ooh, what happened there? And Ooh, this is beautiful up here, you know, uh-huh. which, you know, you do see from time to time and, and bigger, you know, bigger stuff or certain companies, you know, where that stuff is shared, you know? So, yeah. Now but, when uh, it comes to, uh, I've heard people talk about the safety component when welding aluminum, uh, for like your respiratory safety and like wearing, um, either like, like positive ventilation or some sort of, um, uh, like cartridge filter for is Do you know anything about that? Or is that something that you guys were yeah, ever working with? I mean, with? we never really, we never really did that. I mean, we, we pot like when we would polish the tubing, uh, we would wear respiratory stuff. 
but then like the welding process, we never did because we, we, uh, we went through certain phases for a while. We were ultrasound cleaning them, you know, uh, for a while we were doing some other stuff. I mean, we like, we cleaned and cleaned and cleaned and cleaned and it was just, <laughs> yeah, it was relentless, but you know, it's, it, it's a process, but if you can weld the bike up and then get it done and align it and get it out of the door, then, you know, it's, you know, nothing against people putting on stuff, but it's like, you don't have to do all this other stuff and you can just get it done and, yeah. you know, do the, do the work ahead of time, I guess, in a sense, you know, at the yeah. time it seemed like, it's like, Oh my gosh, it was so much work. But then, you know, a few, few times I like built some stuff and I'd rush some things and you're like, Oh yeah, this is smoking, um, pretty good. Um, and then a lot of us had like basically like small little fans that were just like pulling air away from us um, that sat on our tables and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I still do that now. I still have a little fan either underneath my table that's blowing you know, a little bit of air up on my legs and kind of blows everything away from me or sitting on the table pulling away from me mm-hmm. you know, on all I do. Because I, I don't know um, that much about it. I know... Um... When you weld stainless, I've heard people talk about hexavalent chromium being like a health hazard that you want to wear a respirator for that, I guess. And then I've seen people also who weld a lot of steel and titanium um, who talking about with aluminum, sometimes that'll give them grief. Uh, just, I don't know if it's some sort of like, uh, because the, the temperature of the aluminum or if it's contaminants on the surface of the material, but something about that is... I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, it does uh, it does come sometimes with a pretty gnarly scale. Yeah, I would say gnarly, but you know, like kind of gross scale. There's also sometimes no telling. A lot of times, what uh, you know, what's kind of in the aluminum, especially if you're getting single butt, like not single butt, but just straight gauge stuff. Yeah. A lot of times, like double butted, triple butted stuff, it's been pushed through so many dyes. It's actually like you know, really nice and clean and kind of polished in a sense mm-hmm. on the inside. And you just, and acetone or, you know, even something as easy as that works pretty, pretty amazing wonders on cleaning aluminum. Um, and, you know, and once I did it, we, we used to do a lot of the, I haven't, I mean, I occasionally weld aluminum now, definitely not bikes. I definitely sort of miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after a while, I, uh, when I was still up in Rhode Island at a job and I would weld aluminum brackets all day. And, uh, at the end of the day, I'm like, Ooh, you like leave and you're like, you just ringing in your ear of like that tie freak. And, and, you yeah. know, like first week my necklace on the sides was kind of toasty. And I was like, Ooh, yeah, I forgot about all this. Yeah. Like how reflective that stuff is and, you know, mm-hmm. and that high frequency sound and stuff like that. But, uh, that was, yeah, I mean, Back at Spooky, you would have been using transformer machines, transformer TIG welders. Yep. Did you ever? All, uh, yeah. Did you ever have Frank, inverter Frank machines or not? Yeah. So Frank had a thermal dynamics inverter. Um, he was the only one. The rest of all our machines were like Miller two fifties, um, which is what I learned on. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I did like Frank's machine, but. I think I just was so used to the two fifties. I just, I just liked being on, on those machines. Um, I have an inverter now, uh, a Lincoln inverter. And, um, I mean, it's so nice that you can control so much more stuff now when, when you do it, it's almost like, I don't do it all that much. So sometimes a lot of times if I do, I'm like, Oh man, I have to pull out the manual. 
kind of look at it like, okay, where's my cleaning? How much cleaning do I need? And how much penetration, you know, and stuff like that. So some of some of that stuff takes me a while to kind of recall that info. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, we pretty much had like, I think at Spooky we had five weld booths. Um, wow. Yeah, and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean that was you know for for me it's like I don't know I've I've even to this day like even by myself like I mean I don't do the production I used to but. I still just some days I just really enjoy just like okay cool got a whole bike whole rack of uh, frames mm-hmm. and just sit down and just a lot of times that's when I can just like I think about tooling or I think about like processes and I just sit there and just you know I'll weld go through like ten frames you know just like welding them up and then I you know over the years I've kind of created my own like weld sequences in a sense of like yeah. how I do things. And, uh, you know, and I've always t- told this to people when, when I've mentored them or taught them how it's like, find you a process and stick to it because that's how you're going to build speed. If you're constantly changing or, you know, you got to build it to a point where your brain doesn't even think about it. You just do it. You know, mm-hmm. you do the head too well, down too well, then skip or, and you skip around, you kind of go over time. no, what areas you can weld and then it you know keeps the frame from moving around too much or causing too much heat and distortion in a certain area you know yeah when you're and not uh, to mention just breaks it up a little bit where you're not just like yeah you know i have had times where i just i don't know one time at fbm we built like like 300 or 400 bmx forks and so for like a week straight i just welded dropouts and i was like ready to like jump off the roof of the building you know it was like <laughs> oh this is so monotonous you know yeah and you just look at the pile and you're like they're never going away what's going on wow you know? <laughs> that's crazy yeah that that volume uh is huge yeah you know compared to what i'm used yeah to thinking i about. mean yeah yeah i mean i was trying to uh, you know um i was trying to think like what kind of volume we were doing i mean at fbm I think in our heyday when we were doing the most volume, we were probably we were probably producing like three hundred to four hundred frames a month. Wow. And that was like with like five or six guys in the shop. I mean we'd have maybe me and two guys welding pretty much, two guys on the mill, you know, people cycling stuff through either on the saws or whatever and just like jamming, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh and and that was you know a part that you know what you you're so interested in what you do is like it was just all about tooling man making tooling that just repeatability mm-hmm. like uh you know in a sense you try to make everything idiot proof that that never exists um <laughs> you know and another guy used to tell me he's like you want to be able to take tubing and you want to throw it across the shop and it just lands in the fixture and you can sit down and weld it and i was like <laughs> okay <laughs> You know, that's not really ever going to happen, but... But you want a process that flows. Yes, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Yeah, I've been uh, studying some, uh, you know, lean manufacturing and, like, the Toyota sort of method in just-in-time and these these different buzzwords that people have about manufacturing um, processes and schemes and stuff. And uh, somebody was describing lean manufacturing. They said he likes to think of it more as flow manufacturing than lean manufacturing because lean suggests that you're trying to do a whole lot with a little. 
you know, which I mean yeah. is a useful way to think about things too. But he said the way that he applies it, it ends up being more about just thinking about throughput and flow and like where are the bottlenecks and where is the wasted time and where's the wasted energy and effort and like mm-hmm. just just kind of greasing the whole process. And I'm sure that you guys, yeah, you know, you can you can sit back while you're doing a production run and you can look at things and say, you know, man, we're really this this step is a pain in the ass. There's got to be a faster, easier way. Yeah, yeah, and some I mean some of, some of my yeah, and some you know some of my job duties, especially at FBM, running the shop was not only just being the head welder, was like basically running the shop. So like, you know, and I learned this from Spooky of like, I would create myself a spreadsheet and like I would make everyone write down like, I don't care what it is you did, even if you just notched the seat tube, like how long did that take, and you just kind of like figure out where you're lagging, where you can speed things up, and obviously there's always going to be, you know maybe days where the guy's not pulling the lever as fast as he was the other day or, you know, some reason you got a dull cutter or whatever, but it gives you some kind of sense and, and you can always try to, and you're like, okay, well, this area is really lacking. Like, what can we do to speed it up? Either involve a machine in it, or maybe there's some hand air tools that make it faster, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, especially when you're doing production. I mean, that's just like, you know, yeah. this is what you want to do. I mean, when I lived in Providence and I would go, and I would see Brian Chapman or something and I'd always go or stop by Circle A and I'd be like, I'd walk in there and I'd be like, look at Brian. I'd be like, I don't know how you do it. He'd be sitting there just like polishing stainless lugs, like just <laughs> working his nails to the bone. And I'm just like, I don't know how you do it. And he'd be like, he'd look at me and go, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> like he's like, how many how many bikes did you make today? I was like, I don't know, three or four. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's just I don't know. It's just yeah, a funny it's different you know, worlds. Yeah, you know, and he really enjoys that, and I feel like I I feel like I wouldn't maybe I wouldn't have the patience for it. Maybe I would because I'm just a mindset of you know go 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 and you know get these get these bikes done, get them done, you know. Mm-hmm. beautifully and everything else that you know um everyone else does you know like focus on and stuff so but yeah so um with your story and your progression you you know you so you're working at spooky for a while and i've seen uh that there's the one especially popular documentary from a while ago about fbm and so i watched a good part of that or all of that a while ago i think i saw the whole thing um but you know it tells the story of how what like uh uh, Crandall was was interested in making T-shirts and some other things in the BMX sort of community, and eventually uh, that brand FBM, the Fat Bald Men, became uh, a brand that was also producing frames, and you were integral to that. But like, how did that begin, and how were you involved in that, and how did you get to know those guys? Uh, yeah, so when I was at F- I mean, when I was at Spooky, basically we were looking for you know more work. Uh, so basically, I like had such connections with Crandall and, and, you know, Jimmy LeVan from metal and Joe and Rich, Joe and Taj from T1 and all these new, all these new companies were starting to getting into frame building. And so I basically was a middleman between them and, and I basically kind of ran that there, you know, I like pretty much, there was a few years where I almost didn't do any really mountain bike stuff. I was just building all these bikes for FBM and, and T1 and all these stuff. And then, when spooky basically went belly up um you know i left and um you know and that's when i went to brew for a little bit i did a job down there for t1 i did some other stuff down there for people 
basically they had went to him to get their bikes made. And he says, well, I don't have a workforce. And then, uh, like T one said, well, Dave just got, you know, let go from spooky call him. And so they called me and said, would you go down to brew and build these hundred frames? Like, Mm -hmm. yep. And so I just, I kind of did that for a while. And then basically, uh, Crandall invited me to go on an FBM trip through Europe. And so basically we went to, we went to France and we traveled around the UK just basically just like riding BMX and just being derelicts and whatever. (laughs) And then he says, you know, why don't you move to Ithaca, New York and we'll build bikes. And I was like, okay. And so, you know, that's when FBM was in Ithaca at the time. So I moved up there and basically we found a machine shop in Cortland that started doing sprockets for them. And then basically I went, I would go out there and kind of like shoot the breeze with them. And then eventually I said, Hey, what if I take over this corner of your shop and build some bikes in it? And they were like, sure, whatever. And so I like called Kevin from spooky called in some favors, got some old fixtures that were in storage and some other stuff. And basically just like started building FBM bikes in the corner of a machine shop literally in the middle of a cow pasture in Cortland, New York. Wow. Um, and then eventually that was roughly like, like nineties or year 2000 or when was that? That was, that would have been, I think right at 2000. Okay. 99, 2000, somewhere right in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, in the documentary, you see like we had an office, and then the office caught on fire. Well, well half the building caught on fire and it burned down. And so then in that turn, we we rented space below the skate park in Binghamton. And then from there, we built the shop that you see a lot of in the documentary. And same thing, we bought some machines. I called in some kind of other favors and, you know, got some... Um, actually, I got like welding tables and a few other fixtures and stuff from from spooky um you know and i think yeah we got a welding machine from them and some other stuff and basically started building bikes you know in the shop there until i left in 2011 and then a few years after that they kind of consolidated moved back to ithaca where they are now you know but yeah we i mean we had times where originally it was me and one guy and then it got, got grew. There was like five or six of us. Then it kind of scaled down a whole lot. And then before I left in 2011, it was like, it was like me and one other kid. Um, and I, you know, I kind of was like, you know, I told them, I said, look, my wife's going to get, you know, I'm going to wake up one day in a year exactly. And my wife's going to get an offer to go to grad school, uh, do a postdoc and I'm going to move. So you know, let's get it together. Like find somebody <laughs> to replace me. And, you know, and a year went by, I said, all right, well, see you later. Uh-huh. I was like, you know, so, um, but you know, they survived and they're still, they've had their ups and downs and that's, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they're still, they're still building bikes. So that's good. You know, yeah, I never, uh, um, I never went to visit the shop until, three or four years ago or something and so that was you know way after uh you had left um but yeah it was a cool operation and i saw all sorts of stuff around the shop that i'm sure you developed or you had your hands on or you've seen or maybe some of that stuff came from spooky i'm not sure 
Yeah, the, I mean, by then, uh, prob- most of the spooky stuff was probably either gone or broken down and, and started, you know, because the good things, like, the one big thing I learned uh, when I was at Spooky, so K2 bought out ProFlex in Rhode Island. And so we knew people there. So we drove there. And basically, we were they were like, oh, those fixtures are terrible. But they were really nice plates. And so we were like, to us, that was gold. Because, you I mean, you could tear something down and you got this really beautiful steel ground plate or whatever Mm -hmm. and uh and so but yeah um later in fbm when you came around probably at that time we for for a while we had a a tool maker uh this guy named jim bag he was like he was literally like backwoods upstate new york like hermit in this shop and he like is one of the smartest people i've ever met in my life he just like no no real training no anything just but just can make anything on a you know on any manual machine you can ever imagine and um he made a lot of that tooling a lot of it was like me and him kind of getting together and i'd be like listen okay we need to make this fixture it needs to be able to do this i need it to go i need it to like go fast i need it to be you know a lot of stuff he built looks overbuilt and it was quite heavy picking the stuff up but you put it on that mill it doesn't move. It stays there and it's probably still making bike parts yeah. 15 years later, you know, it's like, and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, hundreds of bikes but, a month is a lot of, you know, cycles and a lot of use and, uh, you, you need, you need to build it heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that's just kind of like what we did. And, uh, but yeah, you, uh, you know, I'm sure you saw the, uh, the really crazy fixture we, that we made the, uh, the brake bridge fixture on the yeah. on a Ford F1 Alpha Ford F150 rotor yeah yeah so that was that was cool because that would you'd set that on the bridge I'm trying I'll try and describe this so that people listening yeah. have a sense of what it looks like but it's like it's like the steering knuckle and the front hub off of like a two wheel drive Ford F150 right yep. And then, and then it indexed, there was like pins drilled radially in it. So you would pull back a spring loaded pin and you could index it, you could spin it. And so I saw them, the way they were using it is they just spin it 180 and then the pin would slip yep. back in and it would hold. But I think there were different index locations, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. There, there definitely was. We only, yeah. we basically only used it for bridges and some other stuff, but yeah, we had, uh, we had, we had built our own tumbler machine like before that. And so basically we built the, you know, um, off-centered big weight that drove the, um, but every time we would turn the tumbler on, it was so violent that it would just destroy all bearings and anything we <laughs> built into it. Yeah. So then we said, okay. So then we literally, we went to a junkyard and cut the whole front end of a truck off and <laughs> built the tumbler with rotors and wheel bearings out of a Ford F-150 truck. Yeah. And then... And then in turn, I I was like, dude, we should do the same because it's so rigid. Yeah. And then we eventually built the bridge one that you saw it sits on top of the mill. I mean, you know, it was a process cutting the thing off, bringing it back to the shop, just hacking it, hacking it, hacking it, separating the thing, machining it down. Like, I mean, it was, there's nothing fast about building that thing, but in 15 years, that thing hasn't moved and it never uh, you know that thing will be around forever yeah. and yeah. still make parts so it, you know it you know we had a full-time toolmaker at the time you know so he his job was just to do that all the time 
you know, yeah. just make more tools and everything. Um, one of the really cool yeah, things he, I remember seeing when I visited the FBM shop, which probably was there in your era, was a was a chainstay bender, and it was you would put in two three quarter inch chainstays at at the same time, and it was like a it was like a, a hydraulic press that would smoosh them, yep. and uh, and it was yep. like a it was two or three bends in there. It was yeah, there was two. It was a yeah, dual, two bends. Yeah, okay, dual yeah, radius bend. bend. Yeah, yeah, it was like yeah, an S bend. So yeah, yeah. So that's actually that actually is, is a that whole uh, machine was something we used to use at Spooky. We did a very similar thing where we would basically um, dome the end of a tube um, that oh, was like cool. make it rounded. Yeah. And so we had a big. We used that H press to like come down in one direction and clamp the tube basically where it stuck this little nub out. And then we had another machine piece that just basically rammed into it. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of what gave me the idea to do the, and you know, I'd seen them, I'd seen some style of H presses kind of bent like that. And, uh, and obviously that machine has enough like power to do it. Um, and it took a while to like figure out like, how close we can put the two bends and without just like destroying the tube, no mm-hmm. matter what you did. Um, and, uh, you know, and once we got it, it was great. It was great. You know, the only thing that sucks about something like that, especially when you have it, you know, the, you have the dyes like hardened surface and everything at the heat treaters and all stuff. It's like, you build that thing. You can't do much else. If you decide you need it tighter or whatever, I mean, you just have to start all over again. <laughs> yeah. in a sense. Yeah, so that was like all but tool again, steel that was machined, and then after all the machining, you had it sent out for heat treating. Yeah, that's yeah. badass. And um, but you know, we're making three hundred frame, you know, say three hundred frames a month. Yep. Times two two parts. I mean, that's six hundred pieces. You got to sit there, and you just gotta, and and having two bins that close, like hit every time you mm-hmm. can lay it on a table and there's very little distortion just just mostly just bend it's not because it's twisted or anything you know it's just like yeah. bend flares somewhat and um yeah that repeatability was just unbelievable you could sit there and just like doom 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 just knock them out you know and uh yeah you know doing production that's just kind of what you what you want you know or what you're looking for yeah that's freaking cool yeah and then you know we had probably three or four of those like uh fixtures that basically swiveled that you we did everything sitting in a chair Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean we built all those things in house and that was just i mean that's you know like i love that like you and you know well not anvil's gone now but you know it was like man this is so awesome so many people building tools but for me, I'm just like, huh? I just, unless I really, you know, can't build it, I just build it myself. You know, I yeah. just kind of taught that way. And, and I, I, I like, uh, I think it's cool. You know, it was like, yeah. there's a lot of frame builders that build really cool stuff for sure. And that's great. But I like, I'm, I like, I like to know more, you know, I like to know how to build the fixture in a sense. And I get enjoyment out of that. I get enjoyment out of building the bike that comes out of it. I get the, you know, it's like, it's like I get the the enjoyment of the total package of it all to me. Mm -hmm. Some people are interested in that. Some people aren't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think some people, they just, you know, they want to make the best bike they can and they're not interested in the, the, you know, really long process of learning how to do everything else. And then some people certainly Mm -hmm. are. I mean, I was, and a lot of people that I looked up to were, and uh and there's no wrong way to do it but you know there's there's differences for sure yeah 
Um, yeah, the so like the frame fixtures that you guys had at at um, FBM is common to what I see in a lot of BMX shops, which is what I'll call like more of like a picture frame fixture or something. It's like more of like a it's like more of a big sort of rectangle, and then the frame yep. sits in the middle of that. Whereas like if you look at a an Arctos or an Anvil or a Sputnik or a bunch of these the frame sits off to one side and it's supported from one side of the fixture. And so the benefit yeah. of course, with that sort of picture frame style thing is that you can get weld access from either side of it. It's very open. Um, like what, what had you seen when you, when you built those, were those inspired by a particular design that you'd seen somewhere else or where did that come from? Yeah, I had, I, I had been out to S and M years before that and basically well and and i had saw some of those fixtures online that's kind of style and so i had uh i'd seen s and m's and went out there and were like oh and there's were there's weren't quite as like intricate as ours um and i was like oh these are pretty awesome the fact that like you know if you're sitting you know the good thing is like sitting or standing like you know i'm mostly a bench welder anyway and that's what i've always done so to me sitting and if i can sit and if i'm putting 20 or 30 frames together yep. it's like you stand there all day long on one foot and your other foot's on a pedal yeah you know it gets tiring it's it's it gets so the ability to sit there and just reach over into a basket and just grab tubes and throw them in a fixture and then literally be able to flip it upside down and be able to see the other side because when I was at Brew and even at Spooky at first, we were building on basically like what I call them two-dimensional plate fixtures. Mm -hmm. And they're great, but you, you can't see the other side. Yeah. And sometimes you might pull something out and you didn't realize that maybe your two miters were slightly off, not 90, and you get this weird gap on one side. And you're like, oh, man, I could have, you know, I maybe could have like did a little sanding on one side, kind of balanced that out. Mm-hmm you know, like, or whatever. And, um, yeah. So, you know, being able to see the bike all the way over and the fact that we built them where we, we could sit there and do that. And then, um, you know, we also had like, since Binghamton is such a, you know, not that great of a town, uh, <laughs> you know, there was just like, there was just an, every day there was just, I would come in and there would just be abundance of shopping carts in our parking lot and stuff. So eventually I just started taking those shopping carts and just like stacking them up and would make dividers and just pile tubing in them. And, yeah. um, you know, and that's, that's something I actually first started doing at, at homeless, you know, I would clean all the tubing and it would just like throw them in a shopping cart and just roll them outside into the Texas sun for like 20 minutes and things were so hot you couldn't hardly even touch them, you know, and they mm -hmm. would be dry. And so, yeah, we started developing, we started building, you know, and then next you know it, it was like, we got like 15, 20 shopping carts in the shop, just like <laughs> all broke up and, you know, labels on them all because depending on what model bikes were running. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, it was, it was awesome because you could always clean them and then just like, they would just drip drop and you would just buzz around the shop, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was cool. Um, but again, it just goes back to being all like production oriented and just thinking about like seconds or time on all this stuff and how we can speed up things up or make things easier. Yeah. You do, know, you feel, then, do you feel like you sort of thrive in production or, um, you know, I know when I talked to Carl Strong, he was, he was saying, you know, 
if you actually had to work production 40 hours a week and there were times where that was what he was doing with his business was that he found it to actually be very exhausting and um like i mean but you know different people have different styles like do you feel like yeah. you're you're well suited to that or or, or does it um, does it kill you i mean you know now that i'm in my you know mid 40s and i got you know, four-year-old girl and a nine-month-old girl. And I got real, you know, life at my house every day. It, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the production works and, you know, and I, I work in my shop. I have a part-time guy and that's it. And so I'm by myself, you know, mostly. So yeah, it's, it gets a lot on me now. I mean, you know, back in the day, I felt like, you know, I would go to work and usually I'd leave, you know, kind of at the end of the day. And a lot of times I would just be bored um, and I would just go back to work and I would just like, I don't know, you know, putz on a mill, figure, you know, machine something, learn more about like machining something or, uh, you know, or make, make a bike for my buddy or something like that. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I still thoroughly really enjoy production work, like going in and, yeah. and doing it in a sense. Um, cause I feel like, you know, you look over and you're like, oh man, I just piled through like. 15 top tubes that's awesome oh, yeah. you know but with them you know with the mill and stuff like you set it up i mean who cares if you pull the lever once or 15 times yep it just it's going to take you another 20 minutes and then you're yep. done you know um but yeah i, I kind of like production still a lot um but i do yeah it's if i'm sitting there welding all day long or if i'm running back and forth between the mill it does get a lot where it's at the end of the day i'm just like kind of cashed and then I get home and it's just, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, all the other things I have to do in life. Um, yeah. and also the fact now that I own my own business and it's like, you know, I've heard you and many people talk about it. It's like, I don't just wear, well, I don't just wear a welding hood anymore. I will yeah. the accounting hood, yep. website building, you know, dealing with customers when they come in. Uh, yeah, I mean, anything, you know, it's all that shipping, stuff. freight, FedEx, I mean, yeah, anything going on. And then locally too, because I'm a TIG welder, like I don't do a ton of work at the breweries, but I do sometimes or restaurants call me mm-hmm. and usually it's something, you know, oh man, something's going on in the kitchen and the sink's leaking or the table, you know, they have to have a divider put up for meat to fruits and, you know, the, um, you know, the city's going to come back and tomorrow and have to have it done. And wow. so I'm like, okay, you know, and then, you know, that kind of work is, is nice. It, it, it you know, pays well, but it's, you know, it's usually me in the kitchen at, at lunchtime underneath the table <laughs> trying to weld <laughs> something together or, you know, it's, it's hard to say what it, what it can be sometimes. Um, but you know, I don't do that stuff too much, but occasionally yeah. I do comes up and people call me kind of out of panic in a sense and usually I can help them out or whatever so yeah and uh you know one thing for me too I've always been like I felt like when I got to spooky and how openly door they were to me and all and I felt like the opportunities they gave me like I've that's another thing sometimes it's my enemy in a sense of like people come in the shop or people call me I always want to help everybody mm-hmm. and Sometimes keeping my production on schedule and then helping everybody, it gets kind of, you know, yeah. it, it, it can kind of get itself, you know, where I'm like behind production or I'm, I'm bumping a job off a little bit to finish something else. 
And, uh, but you know, I've just always been a big believer myself. I'm like, I have a very open shop if people yeah. want to come and, and I, you know, I love all the, you know, I guess I felt like when I tried to get into bike building, there wasn't very many options. There wasn't very many people that are willing to open their door in a sense. And, and so like, you know, now there's a lot of people doing, it, which is great. And anytime people call me or email me, I've, I'll just, you know, I don't have any secrets. I give them everything I know, you know, yeah. You know, this is what I do. This is what I've learned. This is what I've, you know, and, you know, even if there are people that I maybe I used to build bikes for and they want to build them themselves. I'm like, dude, do it. You know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> here's my advice. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I think that's a really cool spirit to have. And I think it's easy to feel that way that you want to pay it forward when you think back to like the, you know, like you had that, that help from Frank and the folks at Spooky. Yeah. And, um, and for me, I never... I don't know. I never really had anyone in person too much with my journey with machining or frame building. Like there were yep. just never people around in my area. Cause I never lived in a, in a city that had that, um, locally. Mm-hmm. But like for me, um, there have been people who definitely helped me over the phone or email and stuff. And I think the biggest person that I really credit a lot of my current success with anything with is this guy who has a YouTube channel. And so, you know, I try and do that same sort of thing. I try and make yeah. YouTube videos about the stuff that I think yeah. I have something to share or to help people with. And, yep. uh, or, you know, somebody yeah. emails me or something, I try and give them a helpful answer and point them in the right direction and tell them what I think I would do. And, um, and I yeah. mean, I think that's just, that's the right thing to do. You know, you, you think about the way that people helped you and yeah. Yeah. I know when I first kind of like saw you or discovered you and I see Syracuse, New York, I got like so excited. I'm like, Oh, this is <laughs> awesome. Like, you know, and I spent so much time of my life up in that area and it was like, um, and, and, uh, so to backtrack on some Syracuse history. So the, the hostile tube bender and some other stuff that we have at FBM are still there actually came from a kid who used to build bikes in Syracuse oh, called really? Pyro Circus. Huh. Yeah. Never heard of that. And, um, he, uh, I'm like totally feeling bad. I'm based on his name. But uh, he uh, he now is like a really amazing photographer in uh, New York City or whatever. But yeah, he made some BMX bikes uh, called Pyro Circus, and uh, I remember going up to his house in Syracuse and buying that uh, tube bender and some other stuff, which was pretty pretty funny. But yeah, but yeah, when I, you know when I saw you. Uh, from Syracuse and that area I was like oh man I wish I was still up there I would have like like <laughs> I just get so excited meeting new people and like yeah like you said people that are enthusiastic about what you do like building bikes and yeah. stuff like that you know because even even here a lot of people think it's cool what I do but a lot of times people don't really they'll yeah. come by the shop to like oh like you build them I'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's weird yep. to me. I mean, it's not surprising, I guess, because Syracuse is a relatively small town. But, like, there are so, so, so few people who ever pester me to visit my shop or who ever have or who, you know, like, just nobody's ever. I mean, even though Syracuse is on I-90 and it's on 81, like, yeah. nobody is ever just passing through. and at, Like, whereas I, I know people who have a, a shop in Brooklyn or, you know, anywhere more high profile, they're getting all sorts of people, you know, pastoring them all the time i think uh eric from peacock groove would always have this sign out front about you know like we care about you and your problems but you need to make an appointment <laughs> and like yeah. 
you know, I've just had the opposite experience that, uh, there's just not anybody around. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for me too, like in my store, like, I mean, I, I, I have a retail space. I sell like, I'm, I'm the local skate shop and BMX shop. And, yeah. you know, so I do get a lot of people, well, I don't get a lot of people, but I do get foot traffic and, and there's days where I enjoy it and days I'm, I'm just like, you know, I don't mind stopping and talking to somebody, but there's times where they'll be in mid sentence and I'll just look at them. And I'll be like, listen, man, um, you can keep talking, but I'm going to go over there and run this machine or <laughs> you can come stand behind me while I weld and uh-huh. to keep talking, but I have to get back to work, yeah. you know? And a lot of times people just like, Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks man. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I you know. worked in uh, local bike shops, you know, retail a little bit and you get that just people off the street who just kind of, they're just kind of lonely or something or, or people who like, they love bikes. And now that they're in a bike shop, they get to talk about their favorite thing and they don't have anything to do. It's their day off or whatever. And yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or, you know, I get, like I said, I do have, um, you know, I do some other work, uh, in, in town too. Um, I, you know, I talked about the rest, restaurant stuff. Um, yeah. I got a couple of, cu- oh, I got a customer, I build a lot of airplane parts for them and, I do some off-road stuff. So, you know, I have all these different people coming by sometimes. And, and for the most part, everybody's like, they'll hang out for a little bit or they'll just sit on the couch and maybe sometimes they'll just be chit-chatting with someone else there, you know, and I just get back to work. But, uh, but yeah, it is sometimes like, and it's not even that they may not stay long, but you're like in the mindset of like, you're just like, all right, I'm, I know my next step is this. I'm going to grab a gusset. So I'm going to weld this on. I got to do this. And then someone comes in for five minutes and then I'm like, oh, man usually that's when I'm walking around the shop looking for my welding hood. I'm like, where the hell did I put it down? And I'm walking around. I'm like, Oh, it's over there on the lathe. You know, like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, tell us about when you left FBM to start pedal driven cycles, you alluded to that. Some of that was, uh, had to do with your wife and, in graduate school. Uh, I guess, um, what, what was the story with starting pedal driven? Yeah. So me and my wife met when she was in grad school in Binghamton and then, um, you know, we lived together and then, you know, it kept progressing. And then, um, you know, she says, well, you know, Hey, I got, um, you know, in a year I'm going to go to postdoc and, you know, to finish her graduate school. And, um, and basically she was like, you you know, do you want to go kind of, you know, I was like, yeah. So I basically was like, all right, you know, so I told FBM and then, um, you know, and people were asking me what I was going to do and stuff. And then I was like, well, I guess I should just start a bike company, you know, like, why not? I mean, this is what I've been doing most of my life already. Um, and, uh, and I kind of went back and forth, you know, then, then I'm in this mood of like, what do I name it? What am I going to do? And I don't even know where I'm going to go. Cause like, I mean, we could have went to Rhode Island. We could have went to Ohio, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. At that point, we don't really know where we're going to go. So I'm like, well, it's hard for me to plan out because, like, if I, like, buy a milling machine and all this other stuff, like, yeah. you just don't throw that in the back of your pickup truck and just buzz yeah. on down the road, you know? Like, I, not that I have big stuff, but still, I yeah. have 4,000-pound machines. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, and then we woke up and and we we're like all right we're moving to providence and i was like psyched because you know i've known brian chapman through um you know bmx and you know i knew circle a and and so i was like super excited and i knew like uh you know some people you know i've 
didn't hadn't met him yet, but I knew like Marty at Geek House and all these people, uh, and Ricky, uh, oh, yeah. Francisco, it yep. makes a lot of fixtures and yeah, he's like super good buddy of mine. And, uh, you know, and I, I never really met these people. And so I was so excited to go to the heart to me. I felt like of like frame building Mecca, yeah. of like Boston and that whole area. And, uh, um, you know, and, uh, when I, I go up there and, basically I just work part-time jobs, full-time jobs. Um, and then at night I just kind of like worked on the company and, you know, started making things and eventually rented a shop space. And, and, um, you know, in your past, you know, interviews talk a lot about that, trying to find a small space that's no budget. You're just trying to do anything. Hopefully it's got three phase. Um, hopefully there's a window. So if something happens, you don't get caught in a bur- building is going to burn down or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, and so I went through that and then luckily because I've been doing this for already for a while, I'm, you know, I felt like I'm pretty good at seeing something that most people think is literally a shithole and being like, Oh yeah, I can make this work. Mm-hmm. You know, just throw some paint over there and, you know, put some power over here and I'm good, man. I'm mm-hmm. all set. So, uh, you know, I rented a, you know, space and, uh, again, called in some more favors when I left FBM. I, uh, you know, I took a couple of things that, you know, basically I was like, there's a few machines, like some grinders and, uh, there was a, like the welding table, like the welding table that I used at FBM was actually a table that I'd bought from ProFlex. And so I welded almost on that table the entire time I was at Spooky Cycles. And then I took it to FBM and then now, and now I have it now. And it's, you know, to most people, it's just a steel table. But to me, it's like almost the table I learned how to build bikes on and I've had the whole time. And it's like, you know, it's like one of those things like, man, if this table could talk of like the amount of bikes <laughs> that were made on this thing and, and stuff, it would, it, would be, it would be like nuts, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then I called the, you know, uh, a good friend of mine that used to be at Spooky named Jimmy uh, Pont. He was living in uh, New Bedford, and so I like borrowed a machine from him that he wasn't using. It was in storage, and then you know I borrowed this, and I worked at a sheet metal fab shop for a, for a long time up there. So I would I would also go into work sometimes, and they would be like, "Well, we got nothing to do. We're gonna go do installs." Cause I built some stuff the day before they're like, just hang out. So I would just sit in this like sheet metal shop with like press breaks and shears and, and just make things, you know, I'd make fixtures. Um, actually I made Brian Chapman's, uh, like dip tank that he has a dip. Oh, of, that's awesome. You know, yeah. And so I would make like, uh, you know, magazine holders and, business card things for like the local bike shops in Providence. And I would just like show up here. You want this stainless, uh, magazine rack I made because I was <laughs> bored <laughs> and stuff. Um, so yeah, and I would like basically go to my shop at night and, you know, try to build bikes and get things going and work on tooling and stuff like that. Um, and then basically I was, I was in Providence for three years and then till, you know, my wife finished, uh, finished grad school and stuff and then basically went on to the job market sorry the helicopter flying over um so yeah and then you know she took the job here in athens um 
And, uh, yeah, so I loaded up at Bridgeport and everything I owned and basically a U-Haul truck and, and basically trucked it down here. And, uh, you know, at first found me a small shop, maybe like 600 square feet, uh, pretty cheap. And then eventually moved into where I am now and I have like maybe like 1400 now, nice. but I share a building with, um, with bike Athens, which is like the bike advocacy group here in town. They also do a big bike recycle program. And so, um, and we have this whole building and basically we have three sections of the building. And so they have like three quarters of the building and I have like one chunk of it. And then I have like a five foot mini ramp outside my door and all kind of stuff, That's you know, awesome. for to play on and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool, man. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, as everyone says on this podcast, it's, it's a struggle all the time, you know, yeah. it's, but, um, you know, it's, it's w- what I love to do and I just, you know, keep, keep doing it, you know, um, and stuff. And yeah, yeah. I, 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 there's been a few of your, your interviews that I really enjoyed, like listening to their perspective about it. Cause you know, doing this so long, I've went through so many phases where you kind of get burned out and you get, you're like of the grind and, and the, you know, uh, sometimes I like to say it's like, you know, I do get customers obviously call me up and, or post on social media now, like how excited they are. But typically you mostly hear from people when they're pissed about something, you know, the paint got chipped or this. And it's like, sometimes that just like the grind and the, you know, trying to just make everything a hundred percent so perfect sometimes is just so overwhelming and just like mm-hmm. you know you're like and i've had normal jobs where i just woke up and just went to a job and didn't maybe didn't even care about my job but just, yeah. just went welded brackets all day and then just left and got a paycheck you know mm-hmm. there's you know so but it's you know it's what i really love to do and i you know i do love dealing with customers i do love the interaction i do love seeing um if people know me or don't know me, I sometimes I'll roll to skate parks and there'll be a kid on a bike that I built that he doesn't even know who the hell I am. Or, <laughs> and I just see him just riding and smiling and having the best time of his life. And I'm like, dude, that's just so awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You built so many bikes. Yeah. I was thinking about it. I mean, I, I I'm going to say I'm probably off like, in the hundreds, but I've probably built, I've probably had my hands involved in probably over 10,000 frames. That's amazing. Like if I had to guess between all the production at spooky and you know, all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, but yeah, it's probably somewhere in that area. That's, that's enormous. Yeah, and BMX. I mean, most of most of the work that you've done has been BMX bikes, uh, and uh, and that's tough. You know, like I've seen the you know the prices that FBM sells their bikes for and their production bikes. Um, but man, that's like that's a that's a, a a lower number, and I think that happens through um, you know just doing the huge volumes of stuff without it being custom. It's maybe more possible to do that, but uh, but that's a, that's yeah, a yeah. tough business to be in in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff. So when you do but, that, yeah, uh, that, when, when you're making BMX bikes, uh, like the way that you've done, you're getting lengths of straight gauge 4130, 
and then you're uh, you're not doing a whole lot of butted tubing usually. No, on um, pretty much all my BMX bikes, uh, top tube, down tubes are double butted, seat tubes are single butted, oh, wow. um, and the rear ends are all straight gauge. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I pretty much use mostly uh, fairing, seamless, double butted stuff, and then like the seat tubes are single butted. Um, yeah, they I I've used that tube set they make for years, and it's it's a beautiful, straight, seamless, you know, just like nice tube set good price point on it you know and everything like that i mean i've also built some bikes out of you know back in the day of some true temper stuff and some of the ox platinum and some of the vera wall stuff that's out now and it's all beautiful stuff i mean it's i love that there's so many you know it sucks that true temper has gone there's definitely some options that have dropped off but there's still a lot of really good tube sets out there available especially mm-hmm. for what i do i mean to be mixed up it's pretty, it's pretty basic, but it also, I mean, it takes a hell of abuse yeah. and it's, you know, kids are not, kids are not very nice to these bikes. So they do take insane amounts of abuse and then depends on the style of riding that gets done and, you know, and stuff. And uh, it can really, it can really vary, you know? Yeah. When, uh, when you're welding Kromali frames together, um, I'm just curious, some of the, the, the settings and stuff that you use for welding, like, are you, do you use a pulser? Yeah, I pretty much pulse all the time, even when I'm tacking. I'm just so used to it. I just pulse, but, um, but yeah, on some, uh, on some non-bike stuff, I won't pulse, but for the most part, like on all bike stuff, I'm, I pulse all the time and, yeah. and you know, uh, but you know, it's spooky back to the aluminum stuff. We didn't, we didn't do any pulse stuff, but um, but the steel stuff we did. Yeah. Yeah. What I find works well for me with my very limited experience relative to yours is, uh, for steel, I like to do, uh, like a really low amount of background current and for a pretty short pulse so that when it is on, it's like a lot of amps. And then when it's off, it's like just about enough to keep your arc going and not any more than that. Yeah. Uh, what do you like to do? That's, that's, I kind of run the same setup. I mean, I, I try to figure out what my highest I want to be and kind of keep it that close because, you know, I try to tell people like if you have this foot pedal set at one to a hundred, you know, and you're only using 50 that increments, it's jumping is like, could be three, six, nine, you're jumping these huge increments. Um, you know, and if you fine tune it, you can, you can, you can really mess with your pedal, especially if you're doing anything thin and you can really fine tune it and everything, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, um, I definitely run my top end or my heat a little bit higher and especially over time you get going where it's like, I weld a lot faster than, you know, not maybe some people. So I probably run, I run a higher heat anyway. Cause I'm just like, you know, but <laughs> you I don't production. run my pulser. Yeah, yeah. I don't run my pulser super, super fast. You know, I like. I do mess with it quite frequently. Sometimes it depends on how I'm feeling that day. You know, like if I'm in, if I'm in the groove, or I might bump it up a little bit, or sometimes I might tone it down because I'm just like not, not really. I'm not worried about like trying to knock this thing out in you know ten minutes or whatever the case. You know. Yeah. Uh, what <clears throat> when you were welding aluminum? I've heard uh, Mike Zancanato talk about welding aluminum, which is you know he's not he's doing like seven thousand five, and then I've listened a lot over the years to the Welding Tips and Tricks podcast and the different Welding Tips and Tricks YouTube channel. That was a lot of what I used to learn about TIG welding generally, and um, 
And so I hear those, those different guys talk a lot about their cup size. And I think like something that seems to be pretty common for TIG welders who are welding aluminum generally, not necessarily in the bike world, is to use a number five cup, like a pretty small cup. Uh, and then it, it gives you that weird sort of band around the weld bead of the, mm-hmm. you know, the oxidation or whatever. What do you like when you're welding aluminum? Or I mean, do you do much of that anymore? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, primarily on steel now, I really like to run like a number eight, yeah. uh, just like regular ceramic cup. I do have some of the Furic cups and I do use them from time to time with a diffuser and stuff. But I, I mean, until, until now that they, they make ceramic ones, like even with the titanium on the, I'm, I, I'm just like, I must be a brute cause I just break those things constantly. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, eh, you know, and I'll just throw on the old cheap, you know, ceramic number eight and I'm good. But, uh, yeah, all the little stuff we, I think we used to run more, I used to run like sixes a lot more, but I don't really do it all that much anymore. So if I do, I just, I just leave the number eight on and just go for it. Cause usually I'm not doing too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, typically I used to run definitely a smaller cup. Um, yeah, it was just probably something I never really got too much into why, but it was just probably what Frank always told me to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got someone like him around, uh, it'd be pretty easy to just kind of <laughs> take that, or, you know, yeah. take that direction. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's so cool. All the, all the different places and people you got to work with making, uh, uh, bikes and, and learning from other people and then starting a company like FPM and then going on to do your own thing is, uh, I think all those steps yeah. of the journey are really cool. Yeah, no, it's cool. You know, and I, I like, you know, I've built some 700 C single speeds and I've built a couple mountain bikes and I'd love to kind of keep doing more of that. Um, but you know, eventually if I can get just kind of caught up on all the stuff, but, uh, you know, being so involved in the BMX scene where I'm most known at, it's just, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, I want to do that, but I'm like, Oh, well, I got all these orders. I just got to fill, you know, so I'll just keep plugging along at this mm-hmm. and stuff. So, you yeah, know, that's a good situation but, to be in. Did you, uh, I'm sorry, were you in Athens, Georgia? Yes. Athens. Yeah. What's the BMX scene like there? Uh, it's small, I mean, but it's, it's, it's good. You know, um, we're only like, depending if traffic's bad or not, but we're only an hour, hour and 20 minutes from Atlanta. So, um, you know, the scene there is much bigger, but the scene here is small, but it's, it's, it's pretty dedicated and the people, and you know, there's, there's guys my age that still ride BMX bikes here. And there's some younger kids that are coming, getting into it and riding BMX, but, um, you know, they all come by the shop and they like supporting the shop and, you know, they, they, they always come in and they just think it's so cool. They're like, God, this is so awesome. Like, you know, you building all these bikes right here, you know? Um, I get, I get people that come over from Atlanta just to see the shop and kind of think it's cool that, you know, build bikes and stuff like that. Um, and whatnot, but yeah, I keep wanting to kind of connect with some of the other builders in Georgia. I mean, I've talked, I talked to Nate Zukas quite mm-hmm. a few times and he used to ride a T1 that I built, you know, BMX That's bike. Awesome. And we, we've, we've been at races together and kind of somehow never have like connected, you know, hmm. um, and, uh, and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's cool. Like the scene here is it's small, but it's, you know, the town is like, got a good scene here the cycling scene there's a great music scene there's the things that all these different scenes that kind of make a decent cycling scene here you know mm-hmm. um 
and not just, but yeah, the bee mixing here is small, but it's, it's pretty awesome. There's dudes that have been here for years, uh, that like travel all the time and do BMX shows all over the country. And that rod pro that just like live here cause they like the culture and it's cheap, you know, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's cheap. And the yeah. weather's <laughs> relatively decent most of the time, you know? I'm always telling people so, that's one of my favorite things about Syracuse is that it's cheap, <laughs> which is a yeah. really, probably a rude thing uh, for the people who grew up here. When I say that, they yeah. probably are annoyed. Well, but. I mean, yeah, it is. <laughs> like my favorite thing about this place. Anyway, yeah, well, all right. Uh, I really appreciate you making the time to be on the show. Uh, it was really cool to get to know more of your story. Really makes uh, makes it clear to me. I need to get, well, I knew this, but I need to get Frank on the show too. And um, it's cool how, like, the more I do these different interviews, you'll hear about the backstory with this one bike company or this one person and how it fills in this this part of the story you had from someone else. And uh, it's really cool. Like, I feel yeah. like my my sort of like frame building uh, history of the last 25 years is always getting filled out just a little bit better. Yeah. 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 No, man. Well, I really appreciate it, man. It's, it was a, it was awesome. Yeah. Ever since I, I heard your show, I've, you know, listened to it usually when I'm sitting there welding. So it's cool to hear it and it's cool to like, you know, it's cool to hear your, your introduction to people that I've known, but never really knew their story and, and uh and i was also super psyched to hear your story too like how you got involved i thought that was a really cool idea for you to do that so oh, that was cool. awesome yeah you know? yeah well you know i'm always so, referencing it a little bit but i feel like i'm telling the same yeah. stories over and over again and i was like all right i need to stop doing that and i <laughs> need to just uh you know tell the whole story so cool well thanks yeah. for being on the show and uh let's uh let's keep in touch um okay yeah talk soon bye all right i appreciate it joe thank you yeah all right bye. talk to you later bye